take it every day. Use what you have. Yes. Trying to take more is going to be pointless. And there's know. more than enough for everyone. And there's more than enough for everybody. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and we have today Eric. Hey, morning. And we've got Karen. Good morning. And we've got Tracy. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Hey, uh, the sun is shining. The birds are chirping. We've had a couple of days here with some uh, rain, but I think the uh, sunshine kind of tends to lift spirits a bit. So, I mean, everybody, everybody feeling a little better about themselves today? Feeling better about the weather, and yes to the latter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been, well, you know, everybody says it, but, you know, they always say, every, you know, you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. Well, it's kind of been, boy, the last couple of days, you know, you start out sunshine, and then it's raining, and then it's sunny again, and then it's cold, and then it's hot. <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen this time of year. But, yeah, it's time to start doing yard work and that kind of thing. I've got a front yard that won't grow at all, and a backyard that won't stop growing, and so that's going to be my, my challenge this year. Well, let's uh, let's get into our discussion today. We've got we've got some well, kind of some I don't know potential for some heavy heavy subjects today, uh, as the the Israelites have gotten out of Egypt and they've started through the wilderness. And as we talked about yesterday or last week, I mean, uh, what should have been I think Tracy said something like a seventeen day journey. 11, 11, 11 day journey. So even, even faster than I was thinking, obviously not that long. I remember looking at, uh, you know, Ramses, which they were in Goshen, which wasn't too far from Ramses back up into the, the Canaan area, roughly 150 miles. You know, it just, it shouldn't have taken that long, but we start out 15 days into the second month of their journey now, because if we recall the month began with the entire Passover, and we got 15 or 20 or some days into that before they left, and so now they're into the 15th month, or the 15th day of the second month, and they're still out, kind of out wandering, and they're in a place called the Wilderness of Sin. Now, if when you're reading that, it um, it looks like it says the Wilderness of Sin, because it's spelled S-I-N, and I, every time I've read that, I was like, why in the world would they call it that? So I had to look it up. <laughs> Close enough. It's close enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose there's probably maybe there's a little. uh, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it. it, It's. uh, Yeah. My thesaurus is broken this morning. Thesaurus. Anyway, it's. um, There's a reason they've been out there for this long, but it starts out right away with a complaint from the Israelites. And maybe after being out there this long, I would be willing to complain a bit, too. It's not the first complaint either because, well, let me back up here just a second here because the, we've already seen one miracle in the wilderness when the water was not great. And uh, what did they do? They how, how did, well, a, a miracle was done to. Uh, Is that behind us or ahead of us? No, well, that was in that was at the end of chapter 15. So the water was. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. They had some bitter water and. I got to remember how Moses did it. He um, threw a stick and throws a stick in the water and the water becomes good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, that was, that was barely, they were barely out and it was already an issue, 
but now we're into the second month and there's a another problem the people don't have much to eat and uh, i know when my tum tumbly gets grumbly i can be a bit of a bear myself so yeah they've got this complaint against uh against against moses and aaron and we get this interesting promise from god that he is going to provide them with some food he promises them that he's going to send bread from heaven and by heaven that just means sky in this in this instance that that, that there's good it's going to be uh food show up and he says this is the reason for this is that i may test them whether they will walk in my law or not thought that was an interesting way this is an interesting way to present a test to the people um, whether they would follow what he says and it's kind of a simple thing but maybe not so simple but they're told they're going to be a, they're going to gather they don't know what's going to happen yet but they're going to gather this stuff for six days and on the sixth day then they will gather twice as much because the next day is going to be a day of rest and it's not just this stuff from heaven i mean it's called i think the king james calls it manna yeah and that's the word that's always been in my head is manna and so i tend to call it that even though my new king james doesn't say that at all it just says what is it and that's what manna means is what is it uh but they're going to get also they're going to get quails in the evening so they're going to get their fill of uh quail meat at night and then they're going to have this stuff on the ground in the morning and the stuff manna and it says it's um, this, this small, round substance, fine as frost. And I never thought of this stuff as, as being a real fine. I don't know. What do I know? I never, I've never seen it before. But um, <laughs> talking about being fine as frost, and that occurs to me that gathering this stuff yeah. may not be the easiest uh, thing for them to do. It's not like they just you know hold out a bowl and it falls in. So I don't yeah, know. It's more like... More like sweeping up flour. Yeah, on a sandy floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So God's given them this stuff, but but it's not going to be like super easy for them to to get it. And I don't know. Did that? I mean, obviously that struck you guys. Did you have any thoughts about that though? That um, I mean, to me, it immediately saying like, you know, even though God works for us, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to work some too. What do you think? I, the only thing I remember until this read through, the only thing I specifically remembered about manna was the description of its taste mm -hmm. and the way it described the color. And for some reason, so it says when it describes the color, it says it was white like coriander. And so in my head, it always looked like coriander as well, like coriander seed, which is not fine like frost. Yeah. I just thought it was to keep them busy. <laughs> Give them something to do. You know, what struck me about this this stuff was, um, is it in uh, chapter 16, verse 8, at the very end of that, it says, your grumbling is not against us, that is Moses and Aaron and so on, but against the Lord. Right. And it kind of brings back to this idea that who we sin against when we sin, when we do the wrong things is, and in one sense, yes, it's against each other, but like we discussed in the story of Joseph, Joseph says, how could I do this thing, just speaking to Mrs. Potiphar, how could I do this thing and sin against God? Yeah. yeah. And so that bigger picture. Yeah. 
So we're here, and you know, when we're discussing the idea of what mana is and so on, you know, there are some commentaries this week I was reading one, and some people are saying, well, it could have been the, it could have been the, what was it? The residue that's left over from aphids eating a particular plant. And saying, well, it could be, but the problem is, is that the entire region yields about 500 pounds of this in one whole year. Mm. And they're like, actually, the math is kind of hard to do for a million people gathering this every day. So we're not really sure what that is. I'm like, it was a miracle. That's what it was. I mean, exactly. And, and the idea of food landing on the ground and then melting in the sun. Yeah. And then it's just gone. Like, what is that? I've never heard of that. Drying out? Yeah, I've seen and heard of that. But Right. I mean, it is an interesting thing. And they were supposed to, each one was supposed to get what they call an omer. One, each, so I had to look up what an omer is. And an omer is roughly about 15 cups. So okay. if you can imagine having to sweep up or gather or whatever, about 15 cups of this stuff per person in your household. About two liters is what a footnote of mine says. Okay. So then I was thinking, too, when you think about it and, you know, you look at those those drawings that are out there that have, you know, all these tents set up for a million people. Um, that's a lot of um, surface area if you look at, like, tents and coverings and ground right. coverings. So it might not be so much that you're having to go out and gather this, you know, like off the ground per se. But, you know, I'm wondering if it doesn't settle on the top of the tents and the, the awnings and the offshoots of these where – you can almost go and like shake it into something, you know, oh, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, um, that in this, well, I'm going to back up just a little bit that this idea of manna shows up this bread because apparently they made it. In a, it was apparently a very versatile thing. You could boil it, you could grind it. You could do all kinds of things with it, so it wasn't just as if it only had one application, which you'd get pretty tired of. But right. um, So this became kind of their bread. For 40 years, it says in verse 35, this didn't fail for 40 years. And as we go forward, I think it's in Joshua, it says when they crossed into to, um, Canaan, on that very day it stopped. I have a really, 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 really hard time believing that for 40 years, not seasonally, but every single day this fell of some sort of just natural of nature thing. And then 40 years to the day it quit. Right. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I don't believe that. So what's interesting is that in John six thirty five, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Yeah. And in Luke eleven three, when Jesus is teaching them to pray, he said, give us this day. What is it? Our daily bread. Right. Yeah. So this was, this was a symbol that stuck with the Jews for a really long time. I mean, they were asked to, to pull it together and to put it into um, a container that would be with them forever. And as I understand it, was put in the Ark of the Covenant once that Ark of the Covenant was made. Mm -hmm. and, and so we have this thing, and then this bread of life, this daily bread, all this stuff, comes to them in the context, Matt, you brought that up, in verse 4, and we see it again over in uh, 22, 23, 24, all those things, through 26, as a test. And here's an interesting thing. In 23, says, then to them, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It's like, wait a minute, we're, we didn't get to the Ten Commandments yet. And then, down later, God says in, in uh, 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord right. is giving you the Sabbath. And either he gave it to them 10 minutes ago, and he's like, come on, how long? Which doesn't really make much sense. Right. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you came and you told, you know, I know your boys, Matt, and they're good kids. I like them. But if I heard you, if I overheard you saying, how many times do I have to tell you to mow the lawn? My assumption would be you'd probably told them more than just right then. Mm-hmm. Which puts us in an interesting place, again, as to what appears to be another of the Ten Commandments that God is expecting them to know about long before the Ten Commandments. Right. Well, in this case, not very long, but uh, in other cases, we have murder that shows up and we have, you know, adultery and idolatry and all kinds of things that are clearly God says you knew better. Right. Here's yeah. another one. Yep. Well, I think we've talked before about how that some of these things they just should be self evident. You know, it yep. should it should be these are those innate qualities that you hope you would you know that you have from the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But when we get to the Ten Commandments, I've got a, a note about that because this one in particular is is the one standout that doesn't fit that. Right. We'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that. So, um, now some other some there were some other things that I thought were significant about the manna before we move on. Uh, you already mentioned how Jesus is the bread of life, and we ask for our daily bread. But there are a couple of things about us. They were required to, or they were expected to pick it up every day. They were supposed to use what they were given, but not take more than they than they would use. And there would be more than enough for everybody. That there, there, there seemed to be some significance there in, especially if we put the imagery of Jesus as the bread of life. Yeah. You know, take it every day. Use what you have. Yes. Trying to take more is going to be pointless. And there's know. more than we, enough for everyone. And there's more yeah. than enough for everybody. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Um, no, I think you're right. I mean, those things, I think those are all valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, some... I love the part where no matter the fact that they were living like nomads, that they had left everything they knew, whether they liked it or not, whether they liked what they knew or not, they had left it. They're traveling like nomads. Every day is an unknown. And yet they have these, this consistent thing. And it's like, yeah. it's like, well, I mean, talk about a, a faith builder, you know. Right. Yeah, to that point, and as we get into 17, it's the same thing they they have it, but I think it's worth acknowledging that they were kind of pushed right up to the brink so many times. It's like it's not like they had a week's worth of food left over and they said, hey, what are we going to do next week? I mean, they were apparently out of food. Day to day. It was and the same thing happens in 17. Like It's like, hey, we're, we're out of water. Now, they don't yeah. say it quite so nicely. It's like, hey, what are we going to do? They come, you know, and they're demanding and, and so on like this. But I think it would be it would be worth remembering that their faith really was tested. Because, you know, being in the desert with a million people and running out of food and then mm -hmm. running out of water really does. I mean, I've had an epiphany in the last few months here and during the pandemic. It's like, really, how much trust 
do I have as to like totally like, okay, that's it. You're going to have to provide the things for me. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's it. I think they were being conditioned to have to rely on God in a way that they never had before. Well, they they just come out of relying on Egypt for everything. But wasn't it, to go with me here just a little bit, but wasn't it more structured to that, you know, there was a pillar, there was a cloud, there was miracles. Love that. You know, mm -hmm. there was a structure to it. There was a foundation to it. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, how much it would be on the brink to say, you know, we don't have food or water when it's coming out of the sky for you six out of seven days a week. Where, you know, you're you're brought upon bitter water and all it takes is a stick being thrown in it and you can drink from it. I think this was just really molding and building and breaking down the nation to so God could build them back up. Yeah. yeah. You I know, agree. and I think that's what it was, but you know, I think it was also you know, maybe they were looking towards Egypt so much when they were there and got away from the true faith in God where it needed to be that pillar. It needed to be that fire for them to, to actually be able to visualize it. And at times that still was not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the interesting things that they've learned through centuries now of advertising is that people will take a poor quality guaranteed result over higher quality, anything. You just described all of fast food. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was just going to say, and fast food is the primary example of this. Like, you you could go to a nice sit-down restaurant. You could get some kind of interesting fusion food and really try something new and get some good quality. But you wouldn't be sure that you would like it. And, what you're, and, and so, like, the instant demand of the human heart has consistently been, I, I want a guaranteed thing. And I want it now. And so I like how God did this. In some ways, he deconstructed them. And in other and in other ways, he gave them one of the basic needs of a human, which was just absolute consistency mm -hmm. to, yeah. to build off of. So that they so that they could put their energy on other things. You don't have to worry that you're going to starve. I've got you, right? And I mean, to, to see all of the plagues in Egypt, followed by the pillar of fire, pillar of... Uh, a cloud, right? Leading them out, followed by the Red Sea, followed by, you know, we're going to fix the bitterness of the water. And now that you're out of food, now that you're out of all the stuff that you brought along, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you there too. Like, it's just, to me, it's just these gorgeous examples all the way along of like, no, it's okay. You focus on the big things. I've got the little things. You're okay. You know, I think with that being said, too, that we look at that, you know, what Eric was kind of talking about earlier on is that, you know, there was already these, you know, the commandments kind of the structure built in from long ago. And I think it kind of stands to reason sometimes people just don't learn that way. So not only do they need it, you know, verbally and kind of just out there, they need it written down. They need to be able to see it. You know, they need to be able to touch it. They need they need that kind of different form of learning to kind of get in. And I think he was just basically covering all the bases. He being God just said, you know what? Okay. If you, if you can't get it just by word and example, then I'm going to give it to you written down in tablets. 
you yeah. know, you need to see it and touch it and know that I wrote it to, for it to be driven home. And I think that that's, I mean, the, the system of idolatry, and I don't mean figurative idolatry like we have now. I mean literal idolatry where you, you bow down and you worship these objects like this is my God and I'm going to pray to it, right? Literal idolatry that they came from. They watched the plagues attack all of the local, you know, lowercase g gods of the nation, which Miriam, I thought it was interesting, she referenced in, her, in, in the song that they sang after the Red Sea. It was something about like the Lord is the greatest of all the gods. So there was just this open acknowledgement that there are other gods, but that's okay. They're lowercase g, and 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 our Lord is bigger than all of them. <laughs> Thought that was kind of funny, but um, anyway, I mean we're we're better with a visual. I mean, there's there's endless human religions have been have been built on this. Like we're better with symbols to make us remember the things that we're supposed to remember. But then we get so narrow minded and we lower our sight until the symbols are all we see. Yep. So it's just it's just fascinating to me watching how God brought these people out and started unbuilding and building them and giving them certain visuals to focus on, like the priest and the sanctuary and the ephod and the the ark of the, you know, the. Stuff like this. But then in other ways, he took away everything that they counted on in day-to-day -day life, and they had to lean on him. Super cool. Well, they leave that valley of scene. They're going to head to Rephidim, where they're going to camp for a bit. And we've already touched on this a bit, but there's no water. And, of course, they bring it to Moses again. And I thought this was an interesting thing that uh, Moses says. He says, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? What do you... What does that mean to you guys? What, what you know? How does how does them coming to Moses with this tempt God, or or I think another way of saying that was test God? Did well, that they're, <clears throat> they're not just asking in a as, as as it's reported here. They're not saying, "Hey, what what's God going to do next? What should we do?" They say um, they're quarreling because that's in, in Moses's answer. They say, "Give give us water, drink," and they're quarreling with him. And then they, they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they're not really, they're not saying, well, we're curious as to what God's miracle is going to be next. They're, they're coming with an accusatory thing to Moses. And Moses is saying, hey, it's not me you're actually grumbling against. It's God. And as you guys have said, at this point, he's provided quail and daily bread and we've had miraculous water and all of the the escape through the red sea and all these things so it's not like they don't have anything and the, tracy as you said the pillar of cloud and fire is like right there and they're mm -hmm. probably in the shadow of that cloud saying this yep. so i mean there they are well moses is told to go strike the rock in horeb i thought that was interesting too it was like the rock in horeb do you think that that was a particular rock that had some significance or is this just um phrasing of the day i don't know yeah i don't know either that um but he's told to do it in front of the elders and i think this is probably to lend some credibility to what was going on show so that there would be eyewitnesses saying oh yeah that he's he hit the rock with his staff and and water came out of it because, um, I mean, obviously he could have just gone off on him on his own and done it. And there was obviously no way that all the millions were going to see it. But with eyewitnesses to see this thing, then then there could be no doubt that this was 
It wasn't like he just went out and found water. It was, this was a miracle. Yeah, there's, I mean, the last, it's verse 7, where it says, and they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And that's a fairly pointed accusation in light of all of the things that have happened. And, I mean, every morning they went out, and, and it's a good reminder to us is to say, you know, is God here for me or not? And they're like, well, I don't know. Are you, do you see any evidence of nature, you know, functioning? And, and did, did you get out of bed this morning or open your eyes? And all these other things that are sound cliche, but really, I mean, how different is that than where these people were in the evidence of all these things? And, and I'm guilty too. I mean, I, I like, Hey, what's happening? You know, what's the next chapter for me? And it's like, well, getting ahead of things mm. but this this idea of striking the rock for water becomes symbolic again later that jesus is the rock mm-hmm. and and moses this is an interesting thing because when we see this bringing water from a rock again in the future it goes down differently and it's it's significant mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll to that later, but let's not forget what happened here, so that we can contrast that when it happens again. Yeah. So one of the things that struck me here was, like you said, Jesus is the rock, and he refers to himself that way several times in the New Testament. You know, like when he's talking to Peter, "You, Peter, on this rock I will build my church." I mean, that well, eh, strike that. We'll talk about that when we get there. But, <laughs> but I mean, the I. But clearly, the idea Jesus is the foundation of the church. Yes. You know? um, and water, you know, that water coming out from it, it made me think of him talking to the Samaritan woman by the well. If you yeah. would have come to me, I would have given you living water and you'd never be thirsty. So yeah, he's, I mean, he's, yeah, he gives that living water, not just something to quench your thirst, but something to sustain. Yep. So for some reason, we're not told why, but for some reason, the Amalekites decide to attack the Israelites. Now, remember the Amalekites were, or Amalek was the grandson, if I'm not mistaken, the grandson of Esau. So that goes way back. So these are like yeah. distant cousins that for some reason are attacking them. And this is the first time we hear the name Joshua also. And he's choose to fight, uh, find some men to fight the Amalekites. And it's a it's kind of a interesting story that when they do go to fight them, when Moses has his hands in the air, uh, the Israelites are winning, and when he drops his hands, the Amalekites are winning. And so Joshua and, oh, what was the other guy's name? It starts with an H. Her. Her, thank you. They go and they physically hold his hands up until sundown to make sure that that the Israelites win. Just an interesting story. I don't know. That doesn't. I'm not. I'm not sure. One, why the Amalekites decided to attack, other than maybe they just see these millions of people coming through and and they're uh, a threat for resources. I don't know. But then this idea that a battle is going to be winning based on how a guy's you know a guy's posture. No, that's just a symbol. That's what I'm well, talking of, about. Of course. It's a, it's a visual for the people to remember it by, for the soldiers to see when they look up, for them to talk about afterwards. Yeah. I think also there's something in the metaphor of lifting up leaders. 
um, to stand by them and that, that other people have a role in the success of, because there's the whole, okay, you've got Joshua who's leading this battle on the ground. You've got the soldiers who are actually participating in this. You've got Moses who is, um, God's spokesperson here. And then you have, um, Aaron and her who are there physically supporting Moses in this. So they, but ultimately God is the one doing it. Right. Because yeah. when they, when they get to the end, you know, Moses builds an altar. He says the Lord that Yahweh in this case is the, is, is my banner. And, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. It's it's pretty obvious who gets the credit here. Yeah, I just saw that as a metaphor of of supporting leaders because it's very, um, it's beyond cliche these days to just tear down every leader. Every leader, doesn't matter. Local, state, national, international. It's just everybody, they all stink and they don't know what they're doing and they're all, all idiots. I mean, there's really, there's, or flip side, kind of almost the idolatry of, of leaders is like if so and so says something, I'll do whatever they put a stick in my eye. Sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there isn't a. I don't know. Anyways, I'm not gonna try to say exactly what it is, but I, I saw that metaphor in there of supporting God's specifically God's um, representative, and they probably did it silently. They were just standing there, just helping, and that silent help made. The difference, I mean, God made the difference to get that really clear, but at the same time, they they had a role to play. No, that's good. That's good. That's uh, so it's more than just an interesting little story. It's uh, there's a real lesson there, and that's good. I think it is. I think he he hit on it exactly. Is it it's support, and it's it's needed by everybody. It's a, a team effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and my thought always went back to how long did it take him to actually notice that when his arms were up, they were winning, and when they came down, they were losing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and really, you know, I don't think it started off that way because usually, you know, you know, the leader stood off and watched the battles from from afar. You know, was he wasn't actively fighting in it. So, you know, it kind of begs to reason why, you know, how long it took him just to realize that and then to go and, and lend that aid to uh, support the cause. Yeah, it makes me think, you know, why why were his hands up? You know, was he cheering? Was he, uh, I mean, was he just doing it in support anyway? Was it a symbol of, you know, go, 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 you know, sort of a, I don't know. But yeah, interesting. It's a blessing thing because this, this idea of raising hands mm-hmm. and staff, I mean, that was the same motion that part of the Red Sea. So maybe right. there was that. Um, but again, it wasn't the magic action of doing it's this It's this mysterious thing of the combination of a person's action and their participation <laughs> and that somehow having a role in God's action. See, they could have just said, it's faith. Moses, go ahead and stay at home, stay in bed, sleep in. And, you know, the Amalekites will all just run off a cliff. No, actually, they had to go fight them. And Moses went out and he raised his hands. So it wasn't just a purely like it's all in your mind. You know, it's not like the Matrix where it's Mm. just 
all your it, a mind game. It's like they had to be active participants in this. And by their being active participants, God blessed that. So it's not a, did God do it? Well, yes, but did God do it without their participation? No. Right. I also kind of like it that they had to be participants in ways that weren't necessarily logical from a human viewpoint. Because humans being such creatures of habit and creatures of formula, like, oh, well, this worked last time. So now Moses has to go to every battle and raise his hands and so, so that we'll win. And I just I like that. I like that each time wasn't necessarily the same. And I like that they had to participate in the moment in faith as God directed and that there wasn't there wasn't a two plus two equals four to it. You, I think that's yeah, 100%, Karen. Absolutely, I'll high five here over the uh, <laughs> internet here. That's a really, I did it myself. That's a really, 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 really important point because as we go forward, God is, I should say, adamant that they not follow any formula except turn and ask me and do what mm -hmm. I say. Mm -hmm. Every right. All these battles, the fights that they had, all the dishes... God is very, very particular when it comes to worship. Yep, this is how you do it. You stay inside the lines. But when it comes to other things, he's like, let me talk to you individually on in a case-by-case -case basis as to how we do this, which is one of the things that, okay, little, I'll keep it short, um, soapbox um, side uh, thing here is that churches will publish or want to publish or want to read or how to make your church grow mm. as if, a church in one place could take what God's asked another church to do and say, well, we'll just do that and we'll grow. Becomes in a way a little bit of, I don't know about idolatry, that might be a strong word, but basically we quit relying on God and we start relying on the formula. Exactly. And yeah. that's exactly what I was going to go is that if it becomes a formula, then it becomes you're, you're in the formula and doing all the steps and you forget the maker of those steps. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Exodus 18 begins with Zipporah and Moses and her sons, Gershom and Eleazar. We find out that they have been living with Jethro all this time. Um, I'm taking that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm taking that to mean that when, when Moses went back to Egypt, they did not go with him. Am I correct in that? That's how I took it. Okay, that's what I thought. That's why. That's what I thought. It's another one of those little discrepancies. If you watch Prince of Egypt when Moses is going back to Egypt, um, Zippor is like, "Well, I'm going with you." You know, they try to. They they they're attempting to make her maybe into a heroic figure. Did you um, just compare theology of the Bible to theology yeah. of a Disney movie? Is that what you just did? <laughs> Well, first of all, Karen, it's not Disney; it's DreamWorks. Get oh, your sorry. facts. Get your facts straight. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay, wait a, minute, wait a minute, though. Wait a second. Where was it that that, um, or maybe is it here? Where no, where she, where his sons need to be circumcised, and she says, "You're a man of blood to me." That happens mm. for this, right? It does. So they must have been with him. Yeah. yeah, they must have been with him at some point. During all of this, because I think that was when, oh boy, I think that was when 
he was going. He was going back to going to Egypt. Egypt. He was going to Egypt yes. before the plague. So yeah. So at some point, then they went to live with Jethro. We're not told why. That's interesting. So she. It, it seems like yeah, they were on their way to Egypt, and God was going to like strike Moses dead. There's just kind of like this little tiny thing, and and, and she's like, oh, we're going to circumcise these boys, and then. She's like, man, why? You're a man of blood to me. And then it just like moves on. Like, wow. Yeah. I don't Where think th- we actually talked about that a whole lot when, when we, we sort of missed it. But, it's but yeah, so. Earlier. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's okay. So she had been with him, but now she's back with Jethro. I don't quite know why, but he is. But um, Jethro brings them to, Je- to uh, Moses now, which is an interesting thing to me because this tells me that people knew where they were. They weren't lost in the wilderness. They were being deliberately led around for some reason. Uh, well, we've already discussed probably why. I mean, they need they needed a time to form themselves as as a society and to learn to trust God. But uh, it's not like they were just wandering around lost. I mean, if other people knew where they were, they clearly probably would have known where they were too. So this isn't like a like the Odyssey where they're just aimlessly wandering around and don't know quite where they are. Yeah, but, Google, uh, Google Maps is working just fine. We're fine. Yeah, so they know where they know where they are. Everybody else knows where they are, and you know, I think too that Tim's reason I, that's kind of jumping ahead. But when they go and um, the spies jump into the walls and it's with Rahab, they know that they're out there. We've we've heard about the miracles and everything that's going on out there. So it was it was no big secret, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's just an interesting interesting thing that. The people would go this way for 40 years. Anyway, um, Moses is getting inundated with everybody bringing their problems to him. And, I mean, you think about that many people, and if your whole day gets spent, I don't know, I'm assuming, you know, making judgments between people, uh, making all the decisions about everything, you know, you guys should put your tent over there, that kind of stuff. It wears it wears down on him, and Jethro notices this, and he he suggests to Moses that you know what you're doing this wrong. You need to make this different, and he kind of sets up a form of I'm going to call it representative judgment, not judgment, representative government, where we he puts up pe- people are supposed to be put up to oversee groups of people in descending orders, thousands, hundreds, and tens. So that people have somebody else to take things to. And then, uh, or how to go, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And so then the large matters will still be brought to Moses, but all the small stuff could be taken care of by, by other people. And it seems to be pretty good advice because it takes a lot of stress off of Moses. I think it's cool because it, um, it actually talks about, to me, it says it's, it's okay even for top leaders to take good advice and, you know, mm-hmm. act. Mm hmm. And Moses it's still, go ahead. I was just saying, Moses didn't go like, I'm the boss here. Who are you to tell me about this stuff? It's He was willing to learn and, and take things. Right. Yeah, and so then it still, it still leaves you with a final authority. Of course, in this case, the final authority is God. But, I mean, if you're just talking about the structure of the society there, you still have somebody who's like, okay, the buck's going to stop with this guy ultimately. Right. But in the meantime... Other things could get taken care of. It's a, it's a, it's a different structure than, um, than you see a lot of times. And I think of it 
in terms of well, I mean, we can think of it in terms of of churches where a lot of times the pastor is placed at like the the top of a, of the triangle, and they're you know like the pyramid. Uh, scheme, scheme, schemes you see where you know one person is at the top and they're supposed to be uh, managing all these people below them, where in this case it's spread out a whole lot more than that. And this one person, they have their role, but their role is not to give all the orders. You know? And I think if you look at it, it's really like a military structure. When you have, you know, you have admirals, you have captains, you have you know, chiefs, you have petty officers, the same thing. It's it just a way of of kind of spreading the, the leadership all over. Mm-hmm. And, and it would be inappropriate. Go ahead. And making more people accountable. Yeah. yeah. And it would be inappropriate for that person, in this case Moses, to go down all the way down to that level of somebody looking over 10, you know, 10 people and, and sticking his nose in there. Because he... He obviously wouldn't have the experience with those particular ten people to know exactly how to handle a situation. By the way, um, Moses is on the way to Egypt in chapter four, and in verse twenty-four, that's where um, Zipporah and Moses have this exchange. So, yeah, there's a lot of traveling going back and forth happening here, related to the idea of the the uh, in-laws. I think it's really cool that Moses has been conversing with God in person a number of times, and yet this idea of this is a pretty significant paradigm shift on the children of Israel. I mean, we're setting up civil government here. God doesn't mm-hmm. speak. God uses uses Jethro to talk to Moses. Like so so we can learn things. We can hear wisdom from other people. I mean, it wasn't like God was afraid to talk to Moses or that Moses didn't know God's voice. He did. And yet God chose, in this case, to work through another person. Yeah, and this would have been good for the people, too, because I'm just thinking here, they've come from a situation where you had Pharaoh, who would have been that ultimate voice. I would imagine he probably had a structure as well, but... You know, it was literally to the point where people saw Pharaoh as a god, and now we're we're specifically going to move away from that kind of attitude by putting different people into the picture. Right. So this is all moving towards kind of organizing the people, um, and they're and they're they're headed this way. And in nineteen, they are they're kind of lining up to say, "All right, so let's get ready for the, the big stuff that's coming." And so they get around Mount Sinai. Yeah, Mount Sinai becomes, well, I say becomes, I don't know, it almost seems like maybe it has already gained some reputation here. I mean, this is when they talk about the mountain of God and such. They're talking about Sinai, right? Yeah. So they're into the third month here, and they've gotten into this wilderness of Sinai. And, and how far have they gone? This is, this is the third month, and how far have they gone? I need a map. Oh, uh, yeah, you know what? I downloaded that. That, well, I think I downloaded the right app. That Was that last week? Yeah, Eric, you and Tracy were talking about the app called Bible Map. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. You can look up, you can look up like verses and such and see where things are. Um, well, I don't have time to look at it right now. But anytime, Karen, maybe... Anytime you geography is mentioned, it'll, it'll, make a, it'll break your screen into two parts. One is the biblical text, 
and highlighted will be the names of places. And then on the top is a thing that looks like a poor man's version of Google Maps with pins dropped on it. So you can kind of see where these things are. Wow. Uh, I might have the wrong app because mine, mm -hmm. mine uh, doesn't give me the text it get, or doesn't like I can't read along with it. It just I can look it up like by chapter or, uh, you know, by book and chapter. Yes. Um, but it, it does both. It's made by Plowboy. There's, oh, a little, okay. there's a little drawing of a kind of an 1800s Plowboy wearing a little kind of Amish looking hat and overalls. It's a super cool app. And it and I read some Bible commentary this week. Both put Sinai somewhere. There's, there's discussion as to which mountain exactly it is. Right. It's somewhere kind of down in the bottom center of the of the um, Sinai Peninsula. I mean, it's a pretty isolated place. So the, yeah, Sinai. Well, yeah, it doesn't look like it's very far away from where they were. It's in that no. little bottom of the V of where they yep. probably crossed. So they're yeah, they're not very far. They haven't gone far at all. No. So there they are, and in 19.5, there is a really, really significant promise here. It's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, it starts in 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, this is interesting because, in a way, this is a parallel to how chapter 20 starts. It's like, hey, don't forget that where you are was because of me. And uh, 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Like, they were all supposed to participate in this. And these are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So they were supposed to have a special role here on the planet. That was that was what they were supposed to be. And spoiler alert, they, they didn't do a good job of it, but um, that mm -hmm. was the idea. Yeah, despite that in verse 8, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've talked about making those, those, quick, uh, those quick statements. Yeah. Before. And I mean, God tells you to do something. I mean, what are you going to say? No, nah, I don't think so. Well, I guess some people have said that. Even Moses was like, yeah, I don't want to. So I, I, I just now, that's awfully familiar sounding language from the book of Peter. I think it's first Peter. <laughs> and I, I never realized that when, when Peter says that, you know, what, what is it? Something about, um, you're a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a you know, a kingdom of, you know, all of that, a chosen people. I didn't realize he was referring back to language from Exodus. Yeah, it's a, it's this, this stuff we, well, we, we sometimes are like, yeah, pfft, that's the Old Testament, that's Exodus. Well, if you take out the Old Testament here and what these promises and covenants meant, you don't have much New Testament. You know, hmm. you, whenever these people speak, when Peter gets up in front of the Sanhedrin or he speaks on the day of Pentecost, where do they go? Straight back to here. They, they go straight to the patriarchs and straight to this idea that, hey, you were called to something. And yeah, so you're right, Karen. This is, this is really foundational. Well, the people are warned to stay away from the mountain or they're going to die. My initial thought was why, but then 
um, we're immediately told that this whole mountain gets enveloped in smoke and God is descending on it in fire. And we're getting ready here to see God, it seems, maybe manifest himself there in a way that the people haven't seen before. There's going to be a power invoked here that the people haven't seen before. Uh, and somehow Moses is going to like get a special protection from this because he is the only one that's allowed to go up. Well, I think Aaron gets allowed to go up at some point too, but essentially the people are told to stay away from the mountain or they're going to die. And something incredible, something immense is going to happen here. Now, we get into chapter 20, and this is where we find the Ten Commandments. And something struck me here that hasn't quite, I don't know, never really quite sunk in before. Because my, the picture in my head is that God writes everything, on, and writes everything on the tablets and Moses takes it to the people. That comes later. That's not, that's not here. Because chapter 20 <laughs> starts with, and God spoke all these words, saying... And it seems to me that not only Moses was hearing this, but even all the people that are down, staying away from the mountain, perhaps they were hearing it as well. Am I off base with that? They heard something in 15. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the smoking, people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said, okay, you talk to us, but don't let God talk, even talk to us or we'll die. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, at any rate, God is speaking here. He's, this, this isn't even the part where, where the Ten Commandments get put on, put on tablets of stone. That'll come later. Right. But we're given these commandments, and everybody's heard about the Ten Commandments, and, and there, I don't think there can be any doubt that the Ten Commandments have been significant in forming societies, especially Western society. I think there's aspects of it that are just inherently known throughout. We've talked about that here a bit already. But, you know, you, your Eastern cultures and such, they probably didn't, speci- they, they wouldn't have specifically gotten these commandments, I suppose. Well, um, they were, there were similar things. And as we can get into that, um, I don't know when you want to dive in. To, to that, there's an, there's an exception to that. There were some, uh, in commentary that I had in from what, some classes that I've had in the past, there were some nations that had um, laws and rules. Interestingly, the majority of the other nations that had things, it was, also, it was mostly case law. It wasn't like a do this and don't do that. Mostly it was like, oh, so-and-so did this and this is how we punish them. And so it wasn't really as prescriptive as what they had here. Although there were, with one fairly striking exception, things that um, other nations had that were related to this. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the specifics, a couple things. One is that God establishes at the very beginning who he is and why he has the right to tell them this. In 20 verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's worth noting, because in in many Christian circles, be that you know uh, Catholic or uh, evangelical or any number of other religions, the idea of obedience and grace is a complicated thing. You know, yeah. do we do we keep the law and then God loves us? 
and saves us, I think that God makes it super, super clear here. I brought you out of Egypt. Now, what at that point had they done to deserve that? Nothing. 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 If they were aware of these rules, they sure weren't keeping them. Right. Um, as recently as picking up manna, they couldn't figure that out. Hmm. <laughs> and and so God is saying, look, I already saved you. And now let me give you these things for this purpose. So grace came first and the obedience was to come later. And we see that over and over and over and over again as we read this. We see David and, and Solomon, the psalmists writing about, you know, saved and I will obey you. And later we get the, we get the Ten Commandments. And I think it's worth to, to our listeners to also read um, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5 because that's where the Ten Commandments are given again. Is in Deuteronomy five, and in Deuteronomy four, there's a longer preamble as to why these why these are given, and I think it's super important that we understand the context of why they are given, the purpose. You know, and I've already alluded to the idea that we were saved first, and then we obey as a response of love. Jesus says that in John fourteen five. You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love comes first; the commandment keeping comes later. So Deuteronomy 4, I'll not read the entire thing, but there's a really important part of this. In Deuteronomy 4, 4, and 5, God says, But you who hold fast to the Lord your God, or your life today, see, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possessions of it. And in verse 6, this is Deuteronomy 4, 6, keep them. And do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. Okay, there's no salvational thing here, right? He's saying do it so that it will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this is a great nation, a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the as the Lord Yahweh is to us whenever we call on him. And what a great nation, what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today. The, the reason that they were to do this was that they would be a witness. It would go so well with them. You know, and in, in, in Deuteronomy 440 says, therefore you shall keep his statutes and commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days. Again, this isn't a salvational thing. God is saying, hey, this is going to make your life better, and it will be a witness. Your life will be so much better when you get into Canaan that the people around are going to say, wow, you've got this awesome set of guidelines, and it's making you so prosperous. Tell us what that's about. So if... Going back to this idea that he is, that God is re recreating them, he's establishing a new relationship with them as their God after they've been in slavery and been very, very distracted by <clears throat> what they were living through. And one of the interesting quirks, and I, I think we can all probably think of examples of this in our human relationships, one of the interesting quirks about human relationship in the beginning phases is that someone has to go first. Yeah. Right? Like somebody has to be interested. Somebody has to put themselves out there. Somebody has to 
do something to start that process. And so when I read that verse that you just read, Eric, um, in chapter 20, verse 2 of Exodus, yeah. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He went first. He's fine. He's fine. He always takes the initiative. He did it with them to show them the way. And that's, that's the thing about relationship. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a God to his people or a person to a person. Somebody has to step out on that limb and say, I want you and I'm going to go first. So like you, <clears throat> you referenced that text in John where it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But there's also another text in John that says we love because he first loved us. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Like every every step of the way with the Israelites and with us as individuals and with the world and with if you watch the outplay of history and the gospel, God always goes first. You yes. need somebody to prove this is a good relationship. You need somebody to prove this is safe for you to step into that I've got your back. Fine. I went first. Yes. But I think it, it also goes to show that it's all foundational, though. It, it start like you're saying, it has to start somewhere. And he set it up to say that, you know what, if you do follow this, everybody in the world is going to see, or the known world then, is going to see how well it works. Yes. And they're going to want to do it. And that's where you kind of see this whole thing play out throughout the Bible, that in essence, that's where the ball was dropped. And when he did come as a redeemer, it's because of this. It's like, okay, it didn't really work out that way. But yeah. I'm still going to get you to that salvation point. Yeah, the salvation thing is, is I mean, God rescues first. His salvation is first, and the keeping his commandments comes second. It just, it always does. Mm -hmm. Jesus in John 8, you know, is this woman caught in adultery? He First he forgives her, and then he says, where's your, where's your condemnation? I'm not condemning you. And then he says, go and sin no more. So it's not one or the other. It's It's always both. But it's always the salvation first, which is not dependent on rule keeping. But the rules are useful. I also happen to be reading parallel to this, and it just so happens that I'm reading Psalm 119 right now. And for our listeners who haven't read Psalm 119, it's basically a gigantic acronistic poem of the Jewish of the Hebrew alphabet. They take each letter and then he writes one little poem. And every single poem in Psalm 119 is about God's law. And when we say God's law, it's the things he's talking about. It's God's advice. It's God's wisdom. It's not limited to the Ten Commandments. And these are a few little gems from that. It's like it gives wisdom to the simple. In Psalm 119, 105, it's a light to my feet, a, light to, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And in 119.11, you know, I stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so this God's advice, God's wisdom, God's guidelines. I would say read Psalm 119. The psalmist does not see this as a he does not see it. Number one, as a method to salvation. Number two, he sees this as a good thing, not as like, Ugh, seriously, I got to clean my room. And so I think it's important as we get into the Ten Commandments, which going to be next week. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Yeah. We keep we keep in mind what the purpose of these 10 commandments was and is. It's a big deal. Mhm. Mm yeah. So before we before we close it for today, the 10 commandments, I mean we're talking how many thousands of years later are we here now? Um or maybe 
roughly 4,000 years. I mean, 4,000 years is a long time. Uh, you guys have probably heard it too. Some people saying that, well, is this really relevant? Re re is this really relevant to the 21st, the people of the 21st century? What would you have to say to them? I mean, you know, like we said, it starts out, you know, this is God talking to Israelites that he had just pulled out of Egypt, and he, spe he specifically talks about that. What about us today? Why is this still relevant to us now? One, I think we've seen as we've been reading all of these, all of these pre-existed this one, Ten Commandments, and I mean the the fourth commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath day. I mean that goes straight to Genesis two. Mm -hmm. There were no Jews. There was no children of Jacob. There, there were two inhabitants on the planet, and these things were in play. Way, I mean, their first children, Cain and Abel. We see murder happen, and God shows up and says, this isn't right. So these things, I guess my point is, I think, we, we just said it's maybe 4,000 years since these Ten Commandments. But I think it goes back to day seven of creation. I mean, these, these are not just given to Jewish people wandering around in, in the desert. No, these, these are man, mankind rules. Yeah, these way pre-exist Israelites and Egyptians and Abraham and Noah. So I think these things go back and we see also what happens. We just look in a culture where stealing is, is okay, or at least culturally winked at. And I'm not going to name any countries, but you can think of them. If you get an email and it says, you have just won the lottery and all you have to do is send this money to me. And it, we, it's theft. And what nation thrives under that? None. They don't. So we see these things play out in real life, and when they're not kept, it goes badly. I would say a lot of this has to do with a person's belief structure. Modern. I'm talking modern day here. <clears throat> like, do you believe there is a God? If there is a God, are they in charge, and do they know what's going on? And if you are a created human being, does that God have the proper understanding of you to give guidance to your priorities and behavior. Good point. And, and, if you, and if you believe in God, do you believe in a devil? And if you believe in a devil, are we living in a fallen world? And if we're living in a fallen world, does human nature sort of naturally, because it's now flawed, deviate from how things should be and try to do things another way, but still want the happy result of doing things properly, right? So it's kind of like, to me, this is a continual reality check. Like that is my framework. I do believe in God. I do believe that there is a devil. I believe that I am a created human being. And so within that framework, this is direct, literal advice from my creator to me as a human about how I should act and how I should prioritize my life. And that has nothing to do with what generation I live in. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, rather than try to uh, squeeze the Ten Commandments into uh, the <laughs> zero time that we have left, uh, we're going we're gonna to push that back to next week. And we'll see how far we'll get. I don't know. I mean, we'll talk, I think tentatively, maybe let's read through chapter 25. I don't know if we'll make it that far because the Ten Commandments are such a huge topic. I have no idea how long we'll, we'll talk about it, you know. 
because there's there's so much nuance to it. There's so much relevance and importance to each one of them that uh, I think it's just it's a gigantic topic all all on its own. So let's uh, tentatively read through chapter uh, 25, see how far we get, and um, we'll pick it up there. What do you think? Cool. Thanks, Evan. We want to thank you all for listening to us this week. Uh, Be sure to share this with your friends and your family. Always remember that you can reach us at atdbpodcast at theadventure.org. Search for Adventure Through the Bible on Facebook. And make sure that you just subscribe so that you get this in your feed each and every week. We hope to talk to you again next week. God bless. I forgot to mention it, guys. This was episode 20. Milestone. Wow. Yay, us. Pretty cool.